Welcome to the Wellspring Church Podcast. We're an international church family who wants to see Jesus' love transform communities. This recording is a sermon from our Sunday service and will take you deeper into the Bible in a real and relevant way. I'm going to invite you uh, to ask God to give you a special ability to lean into the Word of God, to tune in, to focus, and uh, to not be kind of, kind of uh, distracted by emotion, but actually in this moment, because I believe God is going to say something very specifically to someone here today. Uh, this is going to be one of those meals that you're never going to forget. God's going to say something that is actually going to bring freedom and something in your life. We're going to get personal today, and I just want to give you a trigger warning. This is not going to be comfortable. Uh, rarely, when we open the Word of God, if we really take it seriously, is it really that comfortable, right? Uh, today will be no exception. Now, we're beginning a series that's part of our annual, our kind of year series, which is about building together. Uh, what does it mean for us to be together as a church? We feel God leading us to look, what does it mean to build leaders? What does it mean for us to genuinely be a church family? Like, what is that really? We spent some time on that uh, in February and March uh, before Easter. And now we're looking at this idea of building home. Building home. What does that really mean? And the message of this whole series between now and probably the end of June, one or, one or two other things on the way like Father's Day and other bits and pieces, we're going to be saying, what does it mean for us to be at home with God and for God to be at home with us? Uh, what does that really mean? Because uh, our understanding is that where God dwells, hope lives. And so what does it mean for God to dwell with us? Now, when it comes to home, we understand that home is, is not just a physical place, but it's also, if you like, a spiritual place, a relational place. There's something very physical, but there's something also very spiritual about feeling at home. We talk about feeling at home. What does it mean for us to feel at home? And it might be easier to understand that in some cases we, we know when we don't feel at home. Has anyone had to move away suddenly from their home? And there is actually a thing called homesickness, and that is the longing to be home again. Uh, it's that place of acceptance, that place of comfort. In fact, one definition says uh, home is someone or something's place of origin or a place where a person feels they belong. Just a few years ago, Magdi and I had the privilege of going and visiting a team in northern Iraq in a place called Erbil. In fact, uh, a, few, a couple of hours' drive from Erbil was uh, a group of people that, uh, the, from the Yazidi tribe that had, um, the, the Yazidi people had been in the middle of the night. Their homes had been ransacked and they literally ran for their lives. And when we met them, they were in these kind of uniform, anonymous-looking uh, UN white tents. You might have seen them on the news, just row after row of thousands of people living in these tents, trying to make some home, but really ripped from their homes. So, so it's a terrible thing to not feel at home. So what does it mean for us to be at home? I, I want to encourage you that God wants to make his home with us and for us to be at home with God, but it requires something, and we're going to be exploring that today. Now, I, 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 there's an ongoing kind of uh, 
We could call it a debate, maybe more a discussion in the Roberts household. Uh, and for the sake so that I can win this argument, I need everyone else's help, all right? So um, th this is, uh, does anyone, say, say you sit down to watch a movie together, um, does anyone have a place where they usually sit? Just, I wonder if you could just raise your hand. I wonder if I could invite the wonderful Helen Roberts to have a look around, no, keep your hands up, have a look around the room. Uh, so you have a place, right? A seat, a, a place. Now, uh, this, is, this is even on the... I just want to be really clear. If, if you come to the home, you're really, really welcome. You can sit almost wherever you like when you come to my house. Almost. But there is one place um, that, that is... We have a corner sofa, and, uh, and my place is in the, the meeting point of the corner sofa. Now, I bring a correction. It is not the best place to view the television. The best place to view the television is right in the middle of the screen, right? Bang on. Then you're not distracted by anyone else. The corner of the sofa is, is where I can view my whole estate. <laughs> right? And, and, uh, and as we're watching the movie, then Helen, if she wants to, uh, she can kind of nestle in and cuddle under my left arm. Uh, David, I don't know how he got this, but our young son, David, he sits bang in the middle with the best view. If there's someone in the room, great. If there's not someone in the room, there he is, him and the screen. And uh, if Hannah's home, uh, she's at university, then she's under my right arm. And uh, if Bethany and Theo come, our other kids, um, there really isn't room for everyone. Everyone piles in. And in fact, they, 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 they kind of, if one of them is sitting in that place and I kind of enter the room, there is something I expect. Uh, <laughs> is that, that there will be room for my rather large frame to find its place to my place. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That, that's home. And there's a little shelf where the windowsill is. That, that's, where, that's where this goes. So, um, uh, in fact, this is very comfortable. Have you got a chair? A place that is home? This, this is where I belong, right? And by the way, this is my mug. This was given to me by the Reverend David Dodwell, and it's my mug. Just want to make that clear. If you come into the Wellspring Church Center, I'm not here, because that's the only case in which you're allowed to touch it. If you're not here, then you can use it, but just want to be clear, it's borrowed. This is my mug. Is that all right? Okay, so, so, just want to make, so when we're home, it just feels, oh, it just feels great, doesn't it? When I, do you know, this is the place where if the movie's not very good and I'm sitting in the corner of the sofa, oh, and I know those chairs are not that comfortable, so, oh, home. And when I'm home, I can be myself. When I'm home, if I'm in my dressing gown, if I haven't done my makeup, if I haven't done my hair, do you know what? I, I just feel, I just feel like I'm home. It's where I belong where people know me, where I know people, where there's love, acceptance, joy, peace. Do, do, do you know, God's intention always, when he created men and women like us, was that he would be at home with us, and we would be at home with him. That was always the plan. And in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve fell, this is where we dwelt with God. God made his, and, and he made the garden for us to enjoy a sense of home in our hearts. It was a very physical reality. 
and we were at home with God. But something happened, didn't it? Adam and Eve, they decided they didn't want to do things according to God's rule. They wanted to have their own kingdom, if you like. And so by their choice, they effectively got up from home and as a consequence of their rebellion in the fall, they had to leave the garden. They were homeless. And they were not allowed just to go back because of the holiness of God and because of the reality of the shame that they carried. They were banished and sent away from home. I want to say to you that since that moment, if it wasn't for the blood of Christ, every single man and woman is homeless. I want to say to you today, if you have not given your life to Christ, if you've not eat, kind of eaten of this bread and drunk of this cup as a, as a believer in the goodness of Christ, if you've not done that, I want, I want to just, just say it as it is. You, you are homeless if you're not at home with God. You're, you're, and it's a terrible place to be. It's a dark place to be away from the presence of God. You were made to be at home with God and for him to be at home with you. In fact, to be at home in you. But the, the way back now to the armchair is the altar. The way back to the armchair in our relationship with God is, is an altar. I don't fully understand it. Great theologians have tried to explain this. I don't, I don't fully get it, but I think there's something in this. For, from the time of Noah, which we'll mention in a moment, from the time of Noah until now, altars have been the place where God meets with his people. In the book of Genesis, there's this powerful story where Noah and uh, his family are on the ark. You've heard the story, you've sung songs about it and learnt about it in Sunday school if you went. It says this on, in uh, Genesis chapter 8, verse 13. Noah was now 601 years old. On the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began. How many of you know that's a long time to be in a boat? The flood waters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw that the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground so that they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. Verse 18, so Noah, his wife and his sons and their wives left the boat and all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. So there's this incredible moment after ten and a half months floating around on the, wondering if you'll ever, ever kind of feel dirt under your feet again. They finally get to a point, they step off the ark. Imagine what that must have felt like. Have you, have you ever been kind of seasick? You've been on the ferry? If I'm on the ferry for two hours to get to Calais, I get to Calais and even though I'm on the ground, I'm like this. What is that like? After over 10 months, they come to the ground and you wonder what is, what is the next thing that we read about. It's really simple. It says in verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He built an altar. He got some stones, maybe dried them off a bit, and he built an altar. And then, I don't know where he got the dry wood, maybe he started breaking up the boat. They don't need the boat anymore, right? I don't know where the dry wood came from, but he builds an altar. And he says, And there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose, or those that were clean. 
Isn't this phenomenal thought? This is a side message. Is that actually the thing that he'd been caring for, the thing that had been precious to him, the thing that the, the animals that he'd been caring for, loving, making sure they didn't have any disease, making sure there was room for them on the ark, that, 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 that what was precious to him, as soon as he gets back to the land, he takes what is precious and he puts them on the altar to the Lord. And it's amazing, the response from heaven is just beautiful. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race. Listen, though, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil from childhood, I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Then we'll trip over to verse 1 of chapter 9. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. You see, what there is on the way to the armchair is an altar. And when we meet God at the altar, there is a sacrifice made and the Lord receives the sacrifice and the relationship is repaired. It becomes a place of meeting God and a restoration. It becomes a place where promise is fulfilled, where a covenant is made or a covenant is remade, if you like, or reaffirmed. And the result of that is communion. When, when we go via the altar, the result is that we get to commune with God, to be at home with him. And this is where God wants us to live. He wants us to live in communion with him. But now the way is via a sacrifice, via an altar. You can see this all the way through uh, the Old Testament as a pattern. And in particular, over these next three weeks, we're going to look at what does it mean? What does it take for God to dwell in us? In us. That's his desire. Then we're going to look at God dwelling among us. And then we're going to look at what does it mean for God to dwell with us in our homes and in our work. But initially, I want to just talk about what does it mean for God to dwell in us? And to help us think about that, uh, I'm going to talk today, what does it mean for God to dwell in our bodies? In our bodies. Next week, uh, Magdi will talk about God dwelling in our minds. And then uh, after a couple of weeks, then uh, in the third week, Damalola McKindy is going to be here, back again from the Evangelical Alliance. And she's going to be talking about what does it mean for God to dwell in our soul, in our kind of emotions, in the seat of our emotions. But first, I want to talk about the body. You see, God created our bodies with five senses, all to be used and all to be satisfied. God created us with desires that are very, very powerful desires, that when they are submitted to him, they bring life and nourishment and enjoyment and joy. But so easily, sin gets hold of what is a good desire and twists and then amplifies the desire. That's always, sin will take what is essentially a good desire, twist it, fill it with lies, if you like, and then amplify it. So before long, we end up doing things not that are good for our body, but actually destructive. We end up doing something that doesn't bring us closer to God, but actually pushes us further away. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And if you think this is uncomfortable, it's going to get harder before we come. As in, this is uncomfortable because I'm talking about what you do with your body and what I do with mine. God cares about this. He cares about what happens with food. We've got a, a wonderful desire for food. Anyone love food? 
Anyone looking forward to lunch? Yeah, that's a good desire. We're created for activity, for work. Anyone looking forward to work tomorrow? That wasn't quite the same, was it? (laughs) Wait till the end of the series and you will. (laughs) God's given us the ability to be intimate, to to have pleasure. In fact, on that third one, we're going to turn to the book of Corinthians. Now, uh, the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul wrote to the church in Corinth because he was really concerned. People become followers of Jesus, but they were more influenced by the world around them than the word of God. One might say it was ever thus. And uh, in, in places like anyone kind of been to Soho or parts of Camden, or there, there are some places where you go and it just feels like thick in the air is compromised. Thick in the air is something that doesn't honor God, where people are doing things with their bodies that, that are all sort of kind of the twisted desires, actually. Uh, well, well Corinth, Corinth was a bit like a whole bunch of Sohos. And not only that, there were, there were temples where people were having sex with temple prostitutes as part of their worship. Uh, and it was a place where all sorts of stuff was happening. And many people had come from that kind of lifestyle and come into the body of Christ. And so Paul writes to them. And what he says uh, is going to help us today. And I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, so if, you, if you're in your Bibles and uh, flick to there, um, from verse 12. You see, they understand the grace of God. The problem is they're compromised. Let me just say from verse 12. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. You say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. Paul says this is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. I really don't understand that because I'm looking forward to what steak feels like and tastes like in my mouth when I get to heaven. So I, I'll ask Paul one day what he means by that. Anyway, that's, just, that's not in what I'm reading. I'm just telling you. We'll, come, we'll pick up the actual word of God. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. In other words, we we were given bodies and will be raised with bodies. We won't be disembodied spirits kind of floating around on a cloud. Uh, the, The other side of the grave for us is a physical body. Hallelujah. And my six pack in heaven is gonna just be worth I'm amazing. Having never achieved anything close. Anyway, verse 15, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never! And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? So here he's talking about the act of sex, okay? For the scripture says the two are united into one. But the person who's joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. God wants to dwell in our bodies. He's only able to do that if we give our bodies to him. 
He says our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now you think, well, does that mean we might get some image in our mind of, I don't know, a Buddhist temple or someone sitting cross-legged going, going humming or something? Oh, my body is a temple. No, think about this. Your body is a cathedral. Yes? Your body is a church, if that's easier. Your body was designed where God would come and make his dwelling and that you would commune with the God of heaven. I know this is mind-blowing, but it's what the word of God says. Your body was created to be a place where God says, do you know what? I, I can be at home there. By his Holy Spirit, he wants to live in our bodies. That's what he wants. That's what he's always wanted. And it's possible, and made possible because of the blood of Jesus, made possible because of the resurrection, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But I would dare say to you that those things are not just magic things that happened in the past. Our invitation is to partner with God by giving him today, again, our bodies to the Lord. We have a very embodied faith. It says in John 1.14, uh, this is the way that John opens his uh, gospel, and he says this. So the word, in other words, the logos, by which he's referring to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the logos of God. He says, so the word became human, or the Greek word is, is sarx, which means flesh. The word became materiality. The word became real. He put bones on, okay? So, and flesh on, and made his home among us. Hallelujah. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness as we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. He became one of us. He became, do you know, when he banged his finger with a hammer, it bled. He went to the toilet. <laughs> Jesus was real. He was flesh. Isn't that an amazing thing? He knows what it means to have nerve endings, to have desires. He knows what it means to have sexual desires and submit those to his father. He knows what it means to have a feast and a buffet in front of him and have the opportunity to overdo it. Yes? People accused him of being drunk, but he was never drunk. He, drunk. he knows what it is to say, no, I've had enough. Thank you. Jesus became flesh, a very embodied faith, and we are invited to give our bodies to Jesus. I'm talking about physical discipleship. You are called to be a physical disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants your body, and he deserves it because he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He deserves it because he paid a high price so that your body could be a place where God communes with you. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, listen to the strength of language here. I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Then goes on to say about not copying the behavior of the world. But I just want to land in there. I grew up with the NIV translation. It says, in view of God's mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice, as a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. By acceptable, when we do that, the Lord says, I receive, if you like, on the altar of your life, I receive your body. And he says, great, I've got it. Now, as you've given your body over to me, now it's an accept. Now, this is true worship. True worship is when we would commune with God 
in our bodies. This is an awesome, amazing, powerful thing. And you know this is possible if you've ever shaken with the power of God running through you. You can't sit still. You can't not move. You know this if you've ever been in a context when the power of God hits you so hard that you go thrashing on the floor. I remember the first time I went to a Soul Survivor Festival. I I remember waking, I I just remember the power of God coming on me so strongly, powerfully. I, I went from standing up to under my chair and stayed there and I could not move. I could not move. I got up and the whole place was empty. There was just a few people gathered around. Can you remember that? Remember that time? And it was so powerful to feel my body truly submitted to the power of God. I communed with him that day. We don't have time, but I could tell you exactly what he told me on that day. And I thank God that those things have been fulfilled and being fulfilled. Because of all that God has done for you, in view of God's mercy, give your bodies to God. Now, as we come into land, I'm going to give you what I hope are some helpful, though difficult, pointers. And what my prayer is that the Holy Spirit, for you at home as well, for the Holy Spirit, that he will prompt you. I'm not pointing the finger at anyone in this room, except myself maybe. But I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to nudge you in the next couple of minutes. And then I'm inviting you to respond. You don't have to. Entirely your choice. But something is available. There's more of God available to you if you'd open yourself up to his elbowing. And please, don't elbow the person next to you. That isn't the Holy Spirit, right? That's your wife, Andrew, right? Don't. Let's talk about diet. What we take in, the things we eat and the things we drink, the substances that come into our body, you might think, oh, Tim's going to talk now about the seven deadly sins, one of them being gluttony. Yes? Oh. I'm not necessarily talking about that, but I guess I am. The good desire is food. The good desire is a mixture of carbohydrates, protein, fiber, vegetable, not vegetables, although vegetables are good for you, minerals, vitamins, a mixture of those things that helps your, the machine of your body to run well. That's how God designed it. And he gave food taste, and he gave us taste buds. Hallelujah. I really feel for anyone who's lost the sense of taste. Oh, food's amazing. But too much food is not amazing. And too much of the wrong food is not amazing. It doesn't bring us closer to God. Comfort eating doesn't, doesn't comfort. Yes? Hello? In the long run, comfort eating pulls us to something that we think will satisfy that doesn't actually satisfy. God wants to satisfy us with his good things. That's why fasting is such a good discipline. We find ourselves satisfied not by food. Listen, I'm just saying God's built us in such a way is if we indulge in taking things in, whether it's something edible or something we drink or some substance we take in, that if we we lean on anything in a way that we need to be leaning on God, it will turn and destroy us. Our bodies are made in such a way that they will start telling us if we're not taking in the right things. That's how God made it. Now, I'm not just pointing or I'm not just nudging towards those that have a trouble with overeating. I'm t- I think this is, might be an issue for the other side. Uh, I guess there might be anyone here, perhaps, 
that is maybe just obsessive about what you don't eat. Obsessive about not eating enough. Certain types of food has become an obsession. Listen, I don't think that brings us any closer to God than overeating, certainly undereating, or, or fussing about what we eat. I, I just don't see how that can bring us closer to God. The invitation today is bring your diet to the Lord. And, and he'll lead you and guide you and probably challenge you in that area. That's not for me to do, but any preoccupation with what we eat or don't eat or choose to eat or all that kind of stuff, maybe that doesn't take us closer to God. Secondly, I'll move on. Activity. What we do. You might think, oh, at this point, this is good because uh, Tim's going to nudge towards anyone who is uh, the, that victim of that uh, kind of other deadly sin of, of sloth or sloth. I prefer sloth. In fact, let's just call it laziness, shall we? That's easier. <laughs> of laziness. Oh, yeah, some people, some people, even when they've had enough sleep, are just pulling the duvet over their heads even when they could be helping someone even when they could be doing something with their time and their talents. And, and, and listen, I'm not necessarily talking about that, but I guess I, in some ways I kind of am. Let, let God speak to you. But I dare to suggest that wasting a single day of your life will not bring you closer to God. Wasting your talents will not bring you closer to God. Being inactive, being lazy, does not bring you closer to God. So in some cases, God might be saying, now is the time to actually change some things so that you can be active in the service of the Lord. Because laziness, and the Proverbs are full of this, laziness is a trap and the enemy uses it to pull us away from God. Now, if being restful or being inactive is part of your devotional time, then of course, awesome. But if it's just an excuse for not helping somebody and putting your life and seeking first the kingdom, let the Lord convict. You might be thinking, well, that's fine because I, I don't even sit still for a moment. Okay, right, sorry. Uh, I, I would never, I'd, never, I'd never have a duvet day. Okay, in which case, I'm also speaking to those who are in danger of being hyperactive. Never able to rest. Thinking that everything has to be done by us. If anything, I kind of fall more into this category and feel the Holy Spirit prompting me. Tim, I want to commune with you. And if you're constantly on your own activity and doing your own thing, and you're, if you're just doing, 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 doing all the time. Listen, hear the voice of God saying, give me your bodies. The third area is our sexuality. And by this, I mean our sexual lives. It's a good desire, you know. God made the human body, a man and a woman, to fit together for that to be pleasurable and joyful. In fact, he, it's such, a, it's such a, a vulnerable thing. He designed it, he designed sex to be in such a place where a covenant protects that activity, where he can be right in the middle because a covenant is made. God created sex within marriage because it's meant to be a place where God rushes to be part of the act of sex. 
That's God's design. That's, that's really, really plain through the scriptures. I, I've, I've given up trying to kind of remove parts of the Bible that I find just because the culture is changing, I have to change. I, I'm sorry, I can't find it in here. What I see in here is God made us male and female and he made sex to be within a covenant where it's protected by that covenant and where God says, oh, you're going to bed, I'm coming with you. Anything outside of that, I believe the Lord says, that's, I can't be part of that. That's just, I, I'm now speaking just from my own conviction. You can hate me or cancel me or whatever. I'm just, I feel I've got to say, right? I just stand, I, I trust this more than I trust my own desires and more than I trust Facebook or the government. So God created this beautiful thing to be where he could be communed with and be part of it. So therefore, anything that happens with our bodies sexually that isn't that is, is part of something that pushes us away. Because he's like, well, if you're going to do that, listen, I, I'm kind of in the room, but I'm not in the room. So I invite you, please, bring your sexual life, what you do with your bodies, let's do Let's bring that to the altar and find ourselves in a place where we can commune with God. And I know that I've just opened a whole can of worms. It's a very complex thing. I'm, not, I'm just, just do what the Lord tells you to do or stop doing what the Lord tells you to stop doing, but do it in his strength as he leads you. You might think, well, that's the, that's the deadly sin of lust. Oh, Tim's really got that one. Listen, there's another side to this. Self-righteousness. Hello? Oh, well, I, that's not something I struggle with. I'm happily married and, and everything's good. Okay, well, if you're in that case, let's be very, very careful. We don't become self-righteous and judgmental about those who struggle in this area. We must not. This is a house of grace. And we welcome everyone with all their struggles, with their diet, with their activity and their lives, and with their sexual lives. Everyone is welcome to come and bring it all to Jesus. And that's all I'm saying to you. You don't have to prove anything to me or anyone else. Just bring your body to Jesus and let him tell you what to do with that. So in view of God's mercy, I wonder if the band could come up. We're going to sing together and we're going to take communion. I wonder if in view of God's mercy, I wonder what it would mean for you personally to bring your body to the Lord. And I'm going to do the same. I'm going to make a fresh commitment to say, God, my body is yours. And I'm not going to allow a determination, which I have to exercise and to eat relatively well, all those kind of things. I'm not going to allow that to get in the way of our relationship with each other. Listen, if, if my gym habit can't be part of my devotional habit, if it's not a continuation of my loving relationship with Jesus, it would need to stop. The fact is, it is part of how I commune with God. Worship music on, on the elliptical meeting with Jesus. Sometimes with tears running down my face, and people think, wow, he's really pushing himself today. <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 you should hear what I'm hearing. It's not just sweat. It's tears of joy. Because God's in that. But listen, if that ever becomes too important, God will put me right. And Magdi probably will as well, or Helen or something. 
Okay, I think I'm done speaking. I think I'd... Let's just take a moment. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Only grace. Only an invitation to draw closer. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, have your way. Have your way in us. Have your way in me. Thank you, Lord. Okay, in a moment we're going to sing together and then we're going to come to the table of communion. If you're at home, I'd encourage you to take a moment to go and get your own uh, communion elements so that we can share this moment together. But a prayer is going to come on the screen now, and I'm going to invite you to have a quick read of it before. I don't want you to pray something you don't mean, all right? So just have a quick read. Thank you, Lord. Okay. If in this moment, and this is part of confession, preparing for communion, if in this moment you feel you you can with an honest heart, as far as you know, can pray this prayer, then I wonder if you'd read it with me. And the band going to lead us in singing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, and we're going to think about what Jesus did for us with his body. You know, he gave us his body. The question is, will we give him ours? So let's pray this together. Father, forgive me for the times I've forgotten how precious my body is. Forgive me for the things I've allowed to take up space where only you were meant to dwell. Today I choose to give my body to you and you alone, Lord. Amen. Let's sing together. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by what you've heard. If you'd like to know more about Jesus, Wellspring Church, or how you can grow with others in faith, connect with us by clicking the link in the episode description or by joining us on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. in person and online.